Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for an exciting chat. It's a brand new sport and Off The Podium. You know how pumped up and excited I get for a new sport. It is archery time. I love archery. I am so pumped to talk to our first ever archer on this show. And what a way to break the archery drought. Three-time Australian Olympic archer and Olympic bronze medalist Taylor Worth won a bronze as part of the men's team back in Rio, which as you'll hear in this chat was Australia's very first medal of those Olympic Games. And it's a great chat with Taylor here, learning about his history in the sport, working his way in the ranks. I really love hearing about the training aspect of archery, because it's definitely a sport where you don't often think about the physicality involved in it. And Taylor dispels those myths. He talks about just how physical archery is. And of course, the mental side of things. One of the most mental sports that exists is archery. And he talks about the training involved in that, how you need to get into a zone and everything else. It's a fascinating insight into the sport of archery. There's so much to unpack in this chat. You're going to love every single second of it. So without further ado, here is our chat with three-time Olympic archer from Australia and Olympic bronze medalist, Taylor Worth. Always get excited and off the podium when we have the opportunity to speak to an athlete from a sport we have never covered before. And today is one of those days. And I'm extra excited because this is a sport that I absolutely love. Every Olympics, I am glued to it. I watch it all the time. It's literally the only time I ever really get to watch this sport. And it is a sport of archery, an amazing sport. And we have an amazing guest to talk to about his Olympic experiences on the show today. He's a three-time Olympian, an Olympic bronze medalist, and one of the legends of the sport in Australia. It is a pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium, Taylor Worth. Taylor, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's so exciting that we've broken this duck after nearly 300 episodes. <laughs> we're here to talk archery. I'd I, I say save the best for last, but sadly there are still some other sports we've never talked about before. So near, near the end, I think, Taylor. But this is an incredible sport. I, I'm not even joking when I say I'm glued to this every single Olympics. I get so pumped and excited for it. But I'd love to I'd love to learn how do you get involved in archery? This is something I feel we all do in high school. It's sort of, you know, if you do scouts, things like that, you give it a crack. But how do you go from maybe doing that to uh, going on to be a three-time Olympian in archery? <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're not really in the limelight a huge amount. But um, I got into my sport when I was 10. And uh, my mom had to work a lot. So I went to vacation programs during the school holidays and they just did archery as one of their activities one day. And from there I went and found a local club and the, the club scene was extremely supportive and fun. And I just uh, thrived from there. So if anybody's ever looking to get involved with archery, um, just try and Google your, your local archery club and they'll always help you out go from there which it's it's fascinating so if my maths are correct based on your age 
So this would have been what, just after 2000 when Simon Fairweather won the gold? Was that kind of around that period where we'd had a little bit of success at that point in, in archery? Yeah, I started uh, probably mid-2001. Um, unbeknownst to me, I, I had no idea about archery at, at the time, so I didn't know we'd just won gold in Sydney. Wow, there you go. I It's, it's randomly one of my favourite golds from Sydney. I remember being glued to it then as a 13-year-old, going, wow, this is crazy, and, you know, the history that that brought on. Um, so it's always been one I think that's probably stuck to me from there. But when you go from doing it at a, you know, a school holiday program to taking it up, I can imagine it's a little bit different from, you know, just having a bit of a fun in a school holiday program to, okay, no, all of a sudden this is a bit more serious if you go into competitions and that. Was there much of a change from pick-up archery to all of a sudden then going towards competition archery? Um, I guess there's, that's a yes and no answer. Um, no, in, in an essence that you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, the, the competition format just kind of has a different name. Um, and it's different because just getting used to the whole, you know, you don't, I didn't start out by wanting to, to be the best or be out, go out there and, and win things, but. Um, I just wanted to push myself as an individual and I found I could really do that in this sport. Was it a Olympic ambition too, once you sort of started or was this something that sort of came as you were progressing in the sport that, Hey, I could go to an Olympics if I get good enough in archery. I think it was one of my first or second coaches sat me down and just, we just did a random goal setting activity one day. And before I could even, um, think of an answer it came out that I wanted to go to the Olympic Games so I didn't even know where that came from at the time um, but that some you know deep-seated drive within me wanted to wanted to do and pursue that were you athletic in other sports were you know typical Aussie kid growing up giving a hand at uh, all different sports also along the way yeah I think I played everything under the sun um, <laughs> growing up but uh, I grew, grew up country as well so I did did everything um during the during each season but i just found i didn't really play well in team sports or play well with others so uh an, an individual sport was something that i could really thrive in got to ask one question when it comes to archery compound and recurve what can you explain what both of those are and what do we see in the olympics when it comes to those two so there, there, yeah there's two di- different disciplines for archery the compound and recurve like you mentioned now recurve is the only current Olympic discipline. Uh, kind of a little bit more of the traditional side of things with the components of the bow. Um, and compound is, is it, I guess, a lot more mechanical. Um, there's, there's multiple strings and and, uh, um, and and the cams on them. Makes it a little bit um, easier and harder. There's pros and cons for both of them. Um, mm-hmm. It's an easier draw weight, but a much harder... Uh, precision game so their scores are much higher so um, they are petitioning to get compound introduced into LA 28 so touchwood all goes well for them for that but um, yeah at this stage uh, uh, recurve archery is the only Olympic discipline and do you is it just a case that all archers do both or do you specialize in one like is it more recurve because it's an Olympic discipline or do you just dabble in both sort of along the way you, you typically one or the other, um, at least at the elite level. You can 
have have some fun with with both or the other. Um, I know quite a few of the top athletes will, I guess, do a little bit of cross training with the other bow because you learn different aspects of the shot. But yeah, typically you just stick with what you can. I've not been able to. I predominantly shoot recurve. I do have a a cartilage tear in my shoulder, so with a different peak of weight in the draw cycle, um, it affects my shoulder quite badly. I would love to know the training aspects when it comes to an archer. You know, obviously I can imagine you just, you're pulling bows a lot and aiming at a target, but in terms of the physical side of things, just how physical is archery? You're hitting the gym to, to work on upper body kind of things like that. I mean, sort of what are those physical elements that we aren't seeing that an archer has to do to train for elite competition? So uh, I guess what a lot of people may think is that we're um, a high-strength sport. You've got to be really strong to do what you do, which in a sense is yes, but we're actually an endurance sport. So it's the endurance to start a competition and go all day and all week and still perform as well as you did on the morning of day one as the afternoon of day seven. Um, so we're out there on the range, you know, up to six, eight hours a day, you know, five to seven days a week. And then, you know, around that we do um, our gym training because we're such uh, an isometric sport. So we only really train one side of our body with our shooting. So we go to the gym for a more holistic approach and to, I guess, rebalance our bodies and um, strengthen uh, the areas that don't get that attention while we shoot. It's it's just fascinating to learn that. I know from some of say the shooters we've had on on the show as well, just learning that that aspect of it. Because I guess a lot of people probably just assume Taylor that you just stand there and pull a bow and arrow. So what you know, everyone can do that, right? But it's it's obviously as you said, like the strength side of things, uh, you know, and and the mental aspect must be absolutely huge too to kind of remain so focused on target. No pun intended. Trust me, I've got more archery puns to come. But like, really? how do you get the the mental side in, into check? What sort of training can an archer do to really get that focus? Uh, absolutely top notch. Um, we do a lot of work with our psychologists and so uh, and a lot of our support network to to get that underway. Um, just working on strategies to deal with the, the distractions that come in throughout the day and the competition. Um, it's just practice really at the end of the day, get out there, do it for longer, push yourself beyond your limits so that you can reset them and go again. Um, you know, eating properly to create that mental um, concentration throughout the day is really, really important. You know, if you eat badly, your body's not going to respond. Your mind's not going to respond. It's going to wander and you're just going to have a rubbish day out the range. So um, it's a whole holistic approach for our bodies and our minds. What is the best brain food for an archer? Is there one that just, you know, gets you hooked into the target like straight away? No, <laughs> oh, uh, it's different for everybody. Um, yeah, that that's really tailored for the person, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> that's two today. We're on a roll. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a dad, so it's uh, <laughs> good. Uh, that's what it we want in the territory. The yes. What's your? I mean, what's your um, secret? Do you have one that like a food that kind of helps you out? I I just needed a high calorie, slow release food. Um, I have a very fast metabolism, so I'll just burn through food really quickly. So I've just constantly snack throughout the day. Um, but there was no one thing that was uh, the magic bullet. 
Also a sport that I can imagine you're always paying attention to the weather forecast, obviously. I mean, wind clearly playing a, a key factor. I, I'm trying to think of some other sports, maybe ski jumpings out there, aerial skiing, some of the winter sports maybe that you're doing that, rowing no doubt with certain aspects of it, sailing of course. But uh, I mean, how how much are you on the, the bomb app if you're in Australia or kind of these other global weather apps to see what the weather's going to be like the next day? Oh, every day, even throughout the day. Um, there's only one thing that we will stop for in archery and that's lightning because we're standing out in the middle of the field with you know a giant rod um <laughs> giant you know pieces of metal so if it's raining if it's windy if it's hailing if it's anything you can really think of uh, we're out there shooting in it and again it's it's more of that experience factor you get out there you shoot in it you get uncomfortable and you you acquire that knowledge so that the next time it comes around, you know how to handle it better. Is there a case of, say, in Formula One, you have some drivers who love driving in the wet. They prefer it than the dry. Are there archers who prefer shooting in the wet? Maybe they feel they get a bit of a level playing field as opposed to if it's dry and sort of a not-so-windy day? Um, I think so. There's got to be some out there. I've known a couple over the years that will actually shoot better in the rain than they do on a perfectly calm and still day. Um but any any good archer out there will be able to perform in um, any weather conditions as, to the best of their ability. When it comes to the the bow itself, uh, I mean, what's a what's a good bow costing you, Taylor? Like, you know, I mean, I, I don't think you just go down to your local uh, sports shop and just buy one. Expect to go to the Olympics? I can't imagine they're that cheap. But I mean, what does a, a decent bow set you back? Oh, that's a question. Um, it's been, I've been very, very fortunate in my career uh, that for the past quite a few years, I've received sponsored equipment. So I haven't had to dish out of my own pocket as much, but I have heard that um, with, uh, I guess, the price of inflation over the past decade, that it can be upwards of, you know, four to $5,000 for a wow. fully comp- competition bow. Jeez. Um, with, you're fully decked out with all the top of the line gear and we would travel to competitions with two of them. Two of them. Wow. That's that's crazy to think that, that that's how much it is. But And do you then, like if you've got two of them though, I'm guessing you do you have like a lucky bow? Like you got like the one that you just kind of take with you and, <laughs> and give it a name. This is Roger, my bow. Like I'm just going to take him to every competition. Is he serving me well? Um, there's definitely a main and, and a spare. You can have two identical pieces of equipment that are, you know, within you know, millimeters of being perfect mirrors of each other, but they will perform differently and they'll feel different. So it's the one that feels best for you. And then, um, which obviously gives you the better performance in your trust in your equipment. Um, some people like to name their, their equipment and some don't. It's a yeah, purely personal thing. Where, where do you fit in on that? Are you, do you name them or don't you? I have named a few bows over my career. But I like to let my equipment tell me its name. Ah. So it will, you know, having a brand new piece of equipment, you'll shoot it for a while and then something will happen and it will just resonate with, you know, a certain name. And that will, um, yeah, it just kind of what, sticks. Can you give us some examples of ones that you've had? Like what's one that's maybe come to you? Like, oh, this is Frank or Jimmy or I, I don't know. <laughs> um. One of the first ones I probably named was a, a black axis they used to have. Um, it's a 
the first one I was able to shoot of that. Um, I'm a bit of an anime buff. So um, Kuro came to mind, which in Japanese mm-hmm. is black. So bit bit silly of that, um, calling it your black bow black. But that kind of resonated. Um, I've had another gold bow over the years um, that I was trying to, in, in a rough patch of my mental state for a little while, um, it actually ends up with the name Legacy because I was struggling with what my potential legacy for the sport may be. And I had that in my hands one day. Um, uh, my, my green bow that I shot in uh, Tokyo was, again, pulling the Japanese theme, was Kamakiri, which was green for praying mantis, which I thought was kind of cool because um, you're taking names and you know, defeating people and knocking them out kind of thing. Yeah, I love this. This is great. I love that sort of terminology that kind of speaks to you, that you kind of get this kind of out the way there too. And with the arrows themselves, how many arrows do you – like, I don't know how to phrase this question because, I I mean, you obviously get a certain amount you're allowed to use per, you know, round and all that sort of stuff. But, like, do you just have to rock up to an airport every time with a bag of arrows and explain that to security? I've just got some arrows and bow and arrows ready to go. I'm, an, I'm a professional archer. You know, this is how it works. But imagine you go through a fair few of those. Um, yeah, we go through a fair amount of arrows. That's our biggest kind of disposable piece of equipment, if you will. Um, but you would travel to a competition with probably two sets and there's 12 in a set. So you're looking at probably 24 hours. Um, now the trick for getting through security is that you tell them it's just sporting equipment. Ah. If they ask whatever it is, it's just sporting equipment. And then equipment. Usually that's enough to just satisfy their answers and then, um, or satisfy the question, sorry. And then it's, you know, off we go. But once they probe a little bit deeper and they go, what sporting equipment is it? Then we kind of got to jump <laughs> through some hoops and sign some papers. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that people listening here trying to do some sinister stuff in airplanes. Like I've got this bomb, but it's sporting equipment. No, it doesn't quite work. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, got to be a bit probed into that a little bit more, but I mean, with like an yeah. arrow, say for example, if, if you win a competition, so say Commonwealth games, world junior champs, the Olympics, like, do you then go and like steal the arrow that got you that medal or something like that and kind of like have that as like this is medal. kind of like say how you might take a, a ball in footy or something along those lines as that sort of a souvenir? Well, they are all our own equipment, so we, we all take it home at the end of the day. Um, I do have the, the four arrows that were shot in the Commonwealth Games gold medal final. Um, they're framed with my jersey that I wore on that day. Right. Uh, I gave that to my mum as a present because nice. that was kind of kind of all of her hard work for getting me to that point. Um, but I've got a few, not so many arrows that are retired because they they're quite disposable. They don't last very long, and it's it's good to keep them in in rotation. But big competition wins that kind of that equipment has been retired and kind of sits on the wall. So is there a case you can have a lucky arrow though? Like if you've got an arrow that served you well in competitions, it maybe has a bit, got a bit more endurance to it. Like did you say, they might sort of wear out a little bit, but ah, oh, this is, yeah. y- you know, my lucky arrow. I'm going to keep on using it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so when we, when we tuning our bows in our groups, there's usually a couple that will hit a more consistent spot uh, more often than not. Um, or when we're numbering our arrows so for competitions, we have to have our initials on our arrows written in, in like a paint pen. And then we number them so we can go, okay, number two always goes high right. We're going to take that out of rotation. 
And usually there's one that you kind of save that shoot off arrow. You go, no, I'm keeping number 10. Number 10's, I'll, I'll use you know, one through seven in my um, shooting rounds. But when uh, push comes to shove, I'm going to pull number 10 out. I'm going to use that one because that always goes in the middle when I need it to. I like hearing that. That kind of works that way. Well, with that, talking about the fine tuning when it comes to, say, your bow or the arrow, I mean, how much sort of tinkering is going on there? Is it sort of a very technical sport in the fact that you can sit there and just, you know, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that to a bow? Or is that sort of dependent on, you know, the two different versions of archery? Um, it, it's very heavily equipment focused. Um, there are dozens of different uh, components within the, the, the bow itself or the arrows. And if one of them is wrong by even a millimeter, then the whole thing is wrong. Wow. So uh, I know I've spent days, um, probably close to a week on end, um, just setting up one piece of equipment um, wow. to get it right. Um, because once you've made a change in something, you need to wait for it to settle and then retest. And then that's affected these two things. Now these two things need readjusting. And then you kind of continue to retest until it's all perfect. Wow. That's crazy. I guess if you're a bit of a perfectionist and you like sort of that, that tinkering aspect with it, it it kind of, uh, it works. But again, trial and error, I can imagine just as you're saying, sort of, uh, you know, fixing them up going that way. Is there sledging in archery? It's obviously very mental, but can you give each other a bit of a, you know, I, I don't know, uh, the rules against it, but even if you can't, like, you know, badmouth someone in between ends, can you just sort of give them a bit of a look? Or like, yeah, mate, come on, you're shooting like shit. Let's let's turn this up a little bit. Like, does that go on in archery? <laughs> no, no. Um, it's a little bit more of a gentleman's sport in that aspect, but there are some tactics, some tactics you can play throughout the day um, to kind of throw some people off their game. But uh, no, no sledging. Which I have to ask then, Taylor, what, what are some tactics? Can you, <laughs> can you share with us some archery tactics to throw people off their game? Um, so when, when you, you lift your bow up to come and draw and, and go through your shot cycle, sometimes people don't like seeing other people do that in their peripherals while they're shooting, so they'll wait. So what you can do if, if you know that person is behind you and is waiting for you to shoot, you can just time them out by just sitting there because you know you can shoot fast or if there is a break and they've gone up, then you go up really quickly and throw them off. Wow. Or um, you can fumble putting your arrow into the bow and it kind of sounds like the clicker going off and you can make <laughs> people flinch that way. Um, in a match play scenario, when it's all head to head, one shot per, per person, um, you, if you know the other person is a really slow shooter, then you would make your shot really fast to give them less rest, and then that would force them to um, push them push them a lot faster, and that will force errors and mistakes. That's crazy. I love hearing that. And I mean, are there athletes then out there that you always know these mind games work with? Like, are you studying these opponents at the same time, <laughs> going like, ah, oh, I know they're a real slow shooter, so I'm just going to fuck with them today. This is this. Bring it on. <laughs> Um, you can, you can kind of tell sometimes when people are struggling, um, and if you want to use that to your advantage, then go for it. But, uh, most people at the top end are so internally focused. They don't really know what's going on, but it kind of works at the lower levels. 
I, I, I like hearing all these things, these secrets of, of the sports. In the lead up to, to London, your first Olympic uh, appearance, uh, a World Junior Team Recurve Championship, Commonwealth Games, uh, which I like to talk about in a second. But the, the US Open, tell me about the US Open in archery. I mean, I hear the US Open. Uh, it sounds like it's obviously a, a big deal. But, I mean, what is the prestige level of, of the US Open and what's it like winning a, an event like that? Um, it's, it, I guess for an Australian to go over there and compete in the U S open, um, it, it was a really amazing experience to see the depth that the U S has just on their national and, um, not in, not even their international stage. So they've got hundreds of people, whereas we've got maybe a couple of dozen at, at the Australian Open, um, and the US archers are all extremely tough. But that year, um, I just had a, a bit of a good year, good bit of a good lead in, and had some good matches leading through the, the early stages. And then they kind of paused for the afternoon uh, or that day, and I looked at the bracket for the next morning. And I'm ver- versing Brady Ellison. Um, now, for the people on the podcast that don't know, Brady Ellison is world number one or, or has been for near on the last decade. Um, he is a fantastic athlete, a phenomenal shooter. And this was at the, the height of his first run uh, as world number one. And I'm sitting here going, well, it was a nice competition, but let's just get through the morning and we'll, we'll you know, have a nice afternoon off and we'll watch some nice matches. I uh, kind of spent my, my time preparing for that match as best I could and just really internalizing everything and getting ready for that next match. Hang on a second. Got a friend joining us. My dog's, <laughs> my dog's barking out the window. It's all good. He, um, he's liking this story too. He's basically like, yeah, tell us more about this beating Brady. We love get, this. Get, getting excited. <laughs> um, but I think it, it went – um, went a fair way into the match. It was at six two or six four. Went all the way, um, and I was really, really surprised that I won. I shot well, and I was in form, and I was feeling really good that day. And I ended up winning, but I'd spent my entire time focused on that one match. That the next match had already started, and my mind wasn't in it, and I'd already lost the first two sets. Now, for us, um, winning a set gives you two points, and first to six points win. So I was already down four nil and I had to just get my mind back in the game. And I was versing another U S Olympian, Butch Johnson. Um, he's a phenomenal shooter as well. And I just, I had to let the match go that I just won and spent my whole day preparing for, cause I didn't prepare for anything else that day. And I was able to reset and, and with the help of my teammates at the time, get me through that next match. And then I made it into gold against another U.S. Olympian. So I had three back to back. Wow! With Vic, Vic Wonderly, who was silver medalist in in um, Sydney, he yeah. lost to Simon. I remember that name. As soon as you said that, I'm like, he, he Sydney, yeah, yeah. So three phenomenal archers back to back, and um, I think I ended up winning the match with a, with a perfect thirty on my last end. Wow. But it was you know, just something really really great to be able to do that overseas, you know, away from my own comfort zone and see how I handled international competition. Cause at that stage I was still quite a rookie. 
um, on the scene. You know, 2008 was my first competition in a youth level, but 2010, that same year, uh, was my first senior competition. So um, it was really nice to kind of kickstart uh, a bit of my career that way. Tell you one thing, Vic must bloody get sick of losing to Australians in finals at uh, big archery competitions, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably. I'm not, not sure. Not another if he's bloody lost Aussie. Too many. <laughs> Keeps coming up that way. Which I mean, that must be the best feeling in archery is to just three three tens in a row, getting thirty on an end. I mean, you know, perfect perfect set, perfect round. I mean, you know, I guess there's nothing better than that in in a match. Yeah, um, especially when it's, you know, a 29 to a 30 or you, you tie 30 to 30, um, shooting that really clutch arrow right at the end to either, you know, win the set or win the match. Um, that perfect 30 is just kind of like um, either that's that stamp of approval or the, or the kick in the dirt <laughs> when you, know, when your opponent does it to you. It's kind of that, you know, that kick in the teeth. And is it a thing? You've already won like the a- set. Why do you need a 30? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, but is it a feeling like as soon as the bow leaves, can you kind of tell straight? Away, oh, yeah, boom! This is this is a good shot. Or like, I mean, are there just times when it's like, oh fuck, this is not this is not good at all? Uh, both have gotten the same result. Um, some days you just know and you're just on, and it's effortless, and you can shoot your arrow and then not even look through the telescope because you know where it's going to land. And there are other days where it feels completely horrible. You're waving all over the place. You've shot and you've thrown your bow arm because you know, the wind's pushed you out and then it goes in the 10. And you do the same thing again the other way and then it goes in the 10. And then you end up with a 30 and you just don't know how it happened. But uh, wow. I guess luck was on your side that day. Are there many showy archers? Like, I mean, is it kind of like a basketball where you've got like somebody goes for a three shot, they don't even look at it going in, they turn to the crowd and like, yeah, come on, that's a three. Like, can you, I don't know if it sounds like you can really do that in archery. Like, let go, turn to the crowd, 10, come on, there it is. <laughs> um, not so much. Uh, I'd probably give that crown to my t- teammate, one of my best mates, Ryan Tyak, um, hmm. in our team rounds because we, we rotate on and off the line. Um. He is very fast with his shot and very trusting himself that he can shoot his shot, throw his bow arm so hard that it spins his body as he's walking off the line before the arrows even hit the target. Wow. So, Jeez. Um, it's a bit of that arson class type uh, situation. <laughs> like that arson uh, class. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, the Commonwealth Games in 2010, I mean, We've sort of had a few athletes on recently where, you know, Commonwealth Games is a hit and missing in the fact that, oh, archery's going to be here this time around. No, not this time around. It's never sort of a stable enough sport. But it was in 2010, only the second time it was ever at the Commonwealth Games. Going to win a a gold medal there, of course. I mean, what was that experience like? Because I can imagine, was that your first real multi-sport event that you've been able to do? And I guess a couple of years out from your first Olympics, that must be good practice to kind of experience that but to come away with a gold medal too is that not a bad result yeah it was it was a fantastic experience and yeah my, my first multi-sport event getting to um you know share a village with, with everybody else and all the other athletes and get to see them perform once we'd finished um my individual round was really bad i was it was pretty upset with it but um I think I lost first round to, to a Scotsman. 
at the time and I just wasn't wasn't very well uh, prepared but I, I took the, the day or two after that to really get back into the game and focus for, for my team because they needed me to perform for them because um, I was the third archer, so the anchor in the group. So I have the last arrow that gets shot to decide the match. And um, yeah, came through, won our first match, nearly timed out. There's, there's a fantastic photo out there uh, of Australia versus Canada. Um, my second teammate was really slow in his shots and he was having a really hard time that day. So I kind of have to tell him to get off the line so we could change the rotations up and we were very, very short on time. There's a, yeah, the photo is me uh, releasing the bow or, or the, the arrow, sorry. I've thrown my bow behind me so hard that it's lifted my front foot off the ground and in the wow. background, the clock has reached zero. Wow. So for our sport, the arrow just has to be in flight, similar to basketball. So if you've let it go and it's on its way to the hoop, if we've shot it and released it, it can hit the target after the buzzer and that's okay. But um, it was, yeah, I needed a, like a gold to win the match and I ended up doing that. Uh, and we won against Canada and uh, went on into the, the semifinals against India, host nation. And mm. it was, that was a match and a half. Um, I can imagine. Very tense in front of the crowd in, in finals format. Um yeah, just really special moments to be able to do that with my teammates and then up against Malaysia in the final. Which, it's it's crazy to me that archery isn't more in the Commonwealth Games. It's just, it seems like one of these sports that should be in there. And it's obviously, I mean, I was, I was surprised it wasn't on the Gold Coast because, what, the last time it was at the Commonwealth Games it was in Brisbane. So I'm kind of yeah. thinking, like, well, if this is a Queensland thing, is there much that you can do as an athlete or the <laughs> Federation can do to lobby the Victoria 2026 Commonwealth Games to be like, hey, guys, come on, bring in archery back to the Commonwealth Games? Um, not really. It's all – it gets to the pointy end of sport. It's all kind of political. And what, uh, yeah, I guess, hitting the inclusion um, within our sports um, – we are an elective for the Commonwealth Games, which you've touched on. So we don't get automatic inclusion like some other sports, but uh, we are working pretty hard to get it included into Victoria. Um, and we've, we've come up with some pretty unique ways that show our diversity and inclusion for our sport with our um, proposal for potential recurve compound and para divisions, um, potentially all shooting together. So, uh, only time will tell to see uh, how that goes. Give, I mean, you've got obviously a mixed event now at the Olympics and you have men's and, and women's events, but is archery a sport that you could just have mixed gender? Like, is there much of a discrepancy between men and women? Because, I mean, on paper to me, it seems like you could just have men and women competing against each other and there's no real overall difference. But, I mean, I don't know if that's just a, a you know, pretty dumb thing to say as a non-archer here, Taylor. <laughs> Um, uh, I guess there are two stances on that at the elite level. No, there's no difference. They're all, most of the women would probably rank, you know, within, uh, I guess top 10 women would be similar to top 10 men in terms of their scores and performances. Uh, I guess it comes down to a little bit of the physiological side of things. Um, I guess from, rumors that I'd heard men typically shoot 
between the 48 pounds to kind of the 52 pounds on the fingers mark. So how strong our bows are and the women are about the, the 38 to 44. So wow. we hear that they're shooting a lot less pound. Now in the scheme of things, they're still performing really well and sometimes better than the men. So whether that makes a difference at the end of the day, I guess is yet to be seen, but um, the powerhouses of the world in women's archery um, will probably outclass most of the men as well. It's good. It's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating just to kind of think that, I mean, you know, I, I picture say like a hundred meters when obviously it's time-based sport, you know, it's a little bit different to say something, which is, you know, you, you're shooting onto a target or things like that, how that, that kind of works. London 2012, you qualify for the Olympics. What's that experience like? I mean, I'm sure ingrained in your memory when you realize that you're going to go to your first uh, Olympic Games. I mean, can you describe that feeling when you knew you were going? Oh, vividly. Uh, Bittersweet. Um, So our selection procedure at the time was we only had one spot for a man and one spot for a woman. And there were three of us in the running, myself, Ryan Tyke, and Sky Kim. And the selection procedure said, whoever finished highest in the match play rounds at this competition. It's like, great. Okay. Just got to do my own thing, focus on what I need to do, and, and that'll get me where I need to go. I won my first round. Fantastic. Because um, you're in the, the, the whole open bracket within the competition. I win my first round. Sky wins his first round. I think Ryan wins his first round as well. So we're all on equal playing field again. Now, if we'd all lost, and it goes back to who finished highest in the ranking round, which I think was me as well. Second round comes up. I win. Sky wins. Ryan's knocked out. Two-man race. The next match in that competition is me versus Sky. Wow. So we're in, the, we're in the same bracket and we've worked our way along the brackets and now we're head-to-head. Winner of this match goes to the Olympic Games. Damn, wow. Now, I remember winning at the end. I don't know. What, I can't remember what the score was. I remember winning the match, feeling the joy and elation of knowing what I'd just done and then turning around and seeing the faces of my teammates knowing that, they hadn't made it. Mm. Wow. Uh, we did have a backup event. So the second part of that event was for some remaining team spots for the games, uh, kind of like a, a World Cup and then a final qualifying tournament backed on the end. So we did have a chance to qualify our team round and they took the top three teams and we made it to the bronze medal match and then we ended up losing the bronze medal match for that. So um, knowing that I'd made it and then knowing that we hadn't quite made it as a team was really kind of gut-wrenching for them. Because I can imagine it's you're all very close given that I'm sure, you know, it's a small group of you doing the world circuit. So, I mean, that obviously adds it. I mean, how how do you take a moment to celebrate but commiserate? Like, I mean, is it just a case of you've got to find a a balance of it and then kind of in the lead-up to London you maybe take yourself uh, to – I guess, celebrate that moment a little bit more once you've kind of gotten a bit closer? Um, yeah, I guess I, I took the time once I got home 
and was able to kind of decompress with family. Um, but yeah, I couldn't really spend the whole evening drinking the, the fun away. Um, because one, I was underage in, in America at the time, but also, <laughs> you know, my teammates had just missed out on, on their chance to go to the Olympic games. So, uh, respecting their, um, their moods and emotions as well at the time. Just on the age factor, is there a, a peak age of an archer? Like do you get to a certain age and this is kind of where, you know, it's a, it's a peak age, like the younger, the better, the older, the better, the middle, like kind of, is there an area there? No, we're a sport that's got a lot of endurance and longevity. Um, I think our youngest Olympic medalist ever was about 16 and our eldest is about 43, I think, or 45. Wow. So as long as your body holds up, um, you can keep going. For as, and as long as the, the young kids don't come kick you out of your spot, um, yeah, you can keep going for as long as you can. I was saying Brisbane, I mean, it's only 10 years away, Taylor. I mean, you know, we're a hundred, <laughs> hundred, well, not 100%. I guess we didn't win a gold in Melbourne, but, I mean, we're 50% for winning gold on home soil in archery. So, uh, you know, uh, at least for the millennium, we're 100% for winning gold in a home Olympic. So I'm sure that's a bit enticing, yes. isn't it, 10 years away? <laughs> it is very enticing. It will um, put me close to the end of my career if if I'm not closer to that at the moment. But, um uh, some of the kids coming through now are showing some real promise. So maybe if I'm not there on the field as an athlete, then I can be there as a support staff somehow helping them and uh, living vicariously through them. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Do you soak up the moments once you're in London, you know, doing things like ceremonies, village life, are you bumping into Kobe Bryant or Usain Bolt, people like that, and kind of just, <laughs> uh, you know, make, making memories that way? Um. So London was the first and only Olympics for me that I've attended the opening ceremony. Good opening ceremony we, to do though. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty good, but you don't see much being inside mm. the stadium. So I still haven't actually seen the ceremony itself from well, a video support probably the, Probably the best opening ceremony of the last, uh, well, the last few have been kind of rubbish. So yeah, definitely the best one in the last 10 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... The hearing the, the roar of the crowd as you come through the stadium and we didn't know what where the flame was at the, at the time and it yeah, came up in the middle of the stadium we were really close to it and i just remember feeling the heat from the flame um just just against my skin and my face was you know, really quite uh, special Fantastic. do you get to do many uh, events in terms of like, do you get to watch sort of many uh, events because obviously tokyo we know uh, basically you couldn't do it but i mean those sort of ones yeah. rio london did you take that opportunity to go out and cheer on the Aussies in other events? Yeah, well, we're an event that happens in the first week. So we have we start on day zero, so before the opening ceremony and run through to about day seven or eight. Um, and then we've got the rest of the whole competition to get out and support everybody else as best we can. Um, Rio, we, I, I got to so many events in Rio and London. Yeah, um, just being there for all the other athletes, Um and just seeing them and watching them perform at the top level was really special as well. In terms of London, you, you talked about 
Brady in the uh, the U.S. Open, but of course you uh, you, you beat him again in in London. Uh, you know, I mean, it seems like you you've got the Mickey on Paul Brady here, no matter where he's ranked in the world. What's what's it like beating the world number one at an Olympics? I mean, U.S. Open special, but an Olympic Games. I mean, God, that must be extra special. Um, yeah, that that was a little bit kind of tongue in cheek special. Um, he was the favorite to win it. Um, I had a really tough first match against um, Simon Wells. Simon Wells, um, uh, British um, archer. We went to a shoot off, uh, so close to the center wins, um, and then back to back matches straight into Brady. Um, he chose to shoot first, and that was actually advantageous for me because in the center of Lords. Um, fun fact, side note, we are the only other sport in history to ever have competed on Lord's ground, apart That's from right. cricket. Yeah, you've had some good um, venues for the Olympics too, haven't you? You're in Rio as well. Like, I mean, it's, it's archery gets some good venues. <laughs> we do, we do. Um, and there's a nice venue uh, proposed for Paris as well. Is that the, um, that, that's not the one under the Eiffel Tower? I think that's Beach Volleyball is doing Eiffel Tower no, in memory. Not straight under it, but we... We shoot near one of the main rivers and then I think it's right. in the background. Nice. Oh, um, yeah, so back to the, the centre of Lords, there were two gaps in the stadiums that created a bit of a wind tunnel and it centred around the targets as we were shooting. So that was really difficult to um, try and feel and predict the wind because target one's flag is blowing hard left, target two is blowing hard right. You can't feel it on your clothes, but all the flags around the stadiums are going all all over the place. So he shot first, and at the time, I just judged my shots off his. So if he went right, then I'm going to aim more left, and then I went in the middle. So I just kind of used that to my advantage and uh, ended up getting the wind on him there. And you narrowly missed out on going through to the quarters too. Uh, you know, it was very uh, tight there in, in the next round, which, I mean, did you set yourself a goal going into London that, you know, quarters, medal, like, I mean, kind of what was your target, pun intended, uh, going into <laughs> London? <laughs> um, I, I didn't really have one. It was your first experience. It's all very raw. You're very young. It's all very overwhelming. I remember in the middle of my ranking round, I was doing really well. I turned to my manager and I just said, you know, six more matches and I've won Olympic gold and I hadn't even finished the ranking round yet. And then I kind of fell apart for a few ends before I got my head back in the game to where I was at. Uh, I just wanted to do as best I could. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in my, in my quarterfinals match against Dai. Um, I was so tunnel focused and so internally focused that I actually didn't know where I was in almost kind of space and time, if you will. I didn't even realize the match had ended. I didn't know the, I didn't even hear the announcer calling out, you know, gold to win the match. And he goes through to the semifinals or the, or the, or the next round. Um, and I shoot an eight and I just didn't know what was happening like it was like almost like an out of body experience. You just didn't know what was going on at that time. And then uh, he went on to win that match and then do two more 
one arrow shoot-offs to win his matches and go through to the um, winning the bronze medal. So, yeah, all credits to him. He had a fantastic day and he was a brilliant athlete. Um, yeah, I, I had my chance and I guess I missed it. I can imagine, though, what you're saying there with that sort of completely out-of-body experience, it sounds like bit common in archery because like you're so mentally focused on your your match and your target and everything involved like is that something that commonly happens i couldn't tell you if it's um common for for other people or not but that was the only real time um that 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 experience ever happened for me it's crazy to think that sort of just the, the mental aspect how that could you know potentially happen with that but before rio uh believe Fourth in the world indoors in 2014, where you lost to Ryan, and then Brady got you back, though I believe in the, in the bronze medal match, right? So I mean, you know, third time lucky for Brady. There you go, got you finally. <laughs> I'm not sure how many other times he might have beaten you in other matches, but um, was he happy there to to finally knock you off? <laughs> uh, I think he might have been, but um, I'd had I'd just moved across the country um, two weeks prior to that world championships. Uh, kind of relocated my life from Perth to Brisbane. Um, I hadn't really ever shot indoor before. So I'm coming in off you know, seven days of indoor practice and I made it through to the, the finals matches at a world championships. So I couldn't really get too upset with that at the end of the day. And distance of 70 meters and outdoor was, was my, my jam. So indoor didn't really mean a lot to me. So I guess for him to beat me at indoor, it was kind of almost should have been a given. You're like, this doesn't count sometimes. You're like, ah, yeah. no, this isn't my speciality. Nah, whatever. You know, you can have exactly. it. Have your bronze. I don't need that. Uh, the 10 train, though, is this a nickname that still to this day happens? The, the, the 10 train? <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> um, more, much more common when indoor pops up uh, because it's uh, easier to continue getting uh, 10s at such a close distance. But, um, yeah, my, all my, my mates joke about that from time to time. Good to have a nickname. That's not a bad one, the 10 train. That's, you know, it's there. So, I mean, you, you, half your last name is the same as my last name, the worth part. At least you don't have water in front of it where people always ask you how much is water worth. Uh, I don't know. Do you get how much is a tailor worth? I have no idea, like sort of what puns or whatever yeah. go along with that. Yeah, how much was a tailor worth or, you know, you always get the worthless one. Yeah, the worthless one. Yeah, I've had water worthless. That's that's always fun when it comes to that. Rio comes around, though. Uh, I can imagine he's had a different feeling given that the team qualifies. So you've got, you know, Alec and Ryan there with you that time around. Uh, I can imagine it's a bit more of a celebratory moment when you qualify for Rio this time. Yeah. Um, we knew we had team spots going into domestic trials. Um I did not have a good domestic trial run. I was in third place, very close to fourth. Um, so I was almost missed out on going to, to Rio. Um, had a lot of things kind of going on uh, in my own head and, and, and things, I guess, in my life at the time trying to, trying to fix. Um, and then psychologist and family really helped me get through that. And my, my partner, who was girlfriend and now has turned into wife, um really helped me through that time and then uh we yeah we get into rio and it's a completely different experience i've got my teammates i've got you know some of my best friends and we're there having a you know a fantastic time and i was 
much bit more prepared um, for for myself. And what was the vibe between the three of you of what you could do? Was it a case of let's just go out there and see what we could do? Were you expecting a medal? And because that's also on the first day, the first full day, of course, as well. So you're straight into it. I mean, kind of what was that vibe going into the competition? Uh, we have to train and uh, go into it with the expectation that we are going to win. Because if we're not going to win, then why are we there doing it? So we, we always felt that we could do well. We shot some pretty high scores in, in practice. Um, but you know, coming in on the day, I, I could, as somebody that had been to an Olympics before, I would just try to impart some knowledge of what to expect uh, for the other two boys uh, going into these matches. And I could see um, you know, some of them getting worked up from time to time and just trying to be the glue that kind of keeps the team together and keep it into internally focused so we don't you know, just, I guess, implode too much that everything falls apart. Is there, when you, you mentioned before about how you were the, the final archer in, in the Commonwealth Games, when it comes to deciding the order of the three of you, is that best archer first, best archer last, based on how you qualify? How do, how do you determine the order between the three of you? For Rio, we did a lot of extensive training and statistic analysis on better positions for each archer, the best rotation, the best team composition, and it got down to hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours of data um, that went, you know, if Alex shot first, his average is this. But if Alex shot second after Ryan, then his average was lower. And if, But if he shot second after me, his average was higher. And then who had the highest average arrow for each position? Um, and mine was last. Ryan's was actually first but Alex's worst position anywhere was to go after Ryan for some reason so Ryan had to go second so that Alec could be in his best position which was in front of him so there was a huge dynamic that we went around um yeah hundreds of hours of of video footage that had to be go through and arrows plotted and arrow averaged yeah, it was it was really really extensive but we um it all worked out we ended up yeah. walking away with a medal. You did. That's insane to think of all that analysis and everything that you can do just to decide a simple kind of positioning thing. That That's absolutely insane. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately you get the bronze. You take on South Korea, which I'm sure is a very daunting prospect in the Olympics, but then go on to beat China the bronze. And if, I, if I'm if i not mistaken, that was Australia's first medal of Rio, wasn't it? Like, I, I think that came before the swimmers that night. So yep. you won Australia's first medal, which history-making for Australian archery, the first ever team medal. But, I mean, what's that like to walk away with an, an Olympic medal kind of at your second Olympics, their first Olympics, and to kick Australia off for the uh, the medal tally for 2016? Yeah, it was really special. Um, special for, for the whole team that worked so hard to get to that point. Um, it was special. Yeah, I, I remember in the interview afterwards um, when Channel 7 was asking me, how does it feel? to have, have won the first medal. And I said, you know, it feels great, but this is the Kickstarter for Australia to go on and do bigger and better things for the rest of the games. Um, just at an Olympic level, we are a whole team, uh, 
of lots of sports. So we all, at the end of the day, share a collective result. Which, obviously, the girls in the swimming and, and Mac won gold. Like we were on top of the medal tally after day one, if you remember. So uh, also a big thanks to, to you guys for adding that bronze to kind of get us over the line with the extra golds there. But, I mean, how do, once you get that, Bronze, does that then kick you into gear and go, okay, individual, right? We're on some momentum here. This is this is where we go. Like, kind of, does that help you or does it kind of hinder a little bit? Because maybe you've got a bit more media commitment and a bit more attention on you, given that you've won a medal now. Um, for me, it was we allowed ourselves that evening and night to um, kind of revel in what we had done and you know, do some media stuff here and there. But as of the next morning it was you know completely cut off again and we've still got our jobs to do in the individual rounds um there was a little bit of, of a, a kind of buzz within the team and on, on the the training fields i guess when um the teams had, had finished and you know we know that there's medalists around um but i didn't put any extra pressure or expectation on myself for the individual round i just knew that I just continue doing what I was doing, um, commit to my plan and my process, and we'd be okay. And you ended up quarters this time around, so you went obviously one better than you did uh, in in London. But I can imagine at that point you've come away with a medal. You know it's possible. I mean, do you then leave the fact that even though it was a close match to uh, not quite make it to that uh, extra step for potentially an individual medal? Yeah, that was really hard, um, hard to accept. Uh, I had versed Kubon Chan the year prior at the test event and he beat me in the same round, I think in the same way in a shoot-off. Um, but look, looking back at, at the footage, uh, yeah, it was a really easy chance to win. It was very similar to London. Um, all I needed to do was shoot a gold, a nine or a ten, uh, to win the match. And I shoot an eight to force a shoot-off for London and I shoot an eight now uh, to, sh- to force a shoot-off. Now, he'd shot, you know, 30, 26, 30, 26, 26. Um, so, you're obviously, 30 is the perfect score. and you know, 26 is quite low for, for us at elite level. Um, so, it just shows the nerves gets to absolutely everybody, even the, the invincible Koreans. But, um, yeah, I had a real chance uh, to put that one away, and, and I didn't. Um, I did have three arrows in a really, really tight group, just high right in the 9-8 in the line. Um, and then when it came to the shoot-off, um, he shot a 10 and I shot a 9 that was just out. But that's a game of millimetres at the end of yeah. the day. That's why uh, circling back to having our gear absolutely perfectly tuned for ourselves in all of those different components, it comes down to that one moment at the Olympic Games. Which do you then look back or do you leave Rio? I mean, you're leaving with an Olympic medal, which is obviously an incredible achievement, but then with that disappointment in the individual I mean how does that balance the emotions you know metal but you know that close to uh going even further in the individual tournament yeah um i still gotta live with that that's uh that'll be probably one of the more bigger regrets of my performances in my career but um i just gotta use that for fuel for making me better for the next one 
Well, I was going to say, generally with disappointment comes that ability to use it as, as energy towards, uh, you know, future tournaments. I'll ask about Tokyo in a second, but, I mean, the medal itself, like, uh, you know, does that change much? Does it, you know, give a bit of attention then to archery, <laughs> welcome home parades, things like that, and kind of everything that comes with no doubt coming back home with a medal around your neck? Um, a little bit. Um, as a medal, you kind of sit close to the front of the plane on the, on the charter flight home. Um, not quite business. That was, that was, uh, full of taller athletes. Um, <laughs> they tear it with the medals, right? So gold at the very pointy and silver slightly back and the bronze, just ahead of all the fourth and fifth place finishes, right? <laughs> not always. Some of the taller athletes that didn't have medals were still up the front of the plane, um, <laughs> which ticked a few people off, but, uh, is what it is. Um, we still had really nice seats and we got to just enjoy ourselves on the way home as, as a group of, of athletes, um, on that euphoric rush of, you know, the games are over. Um, and they kind of that hit home of, um, you know, jobs done kind of thing. Um, there was a, there was a few welcome home parades here and there and, um, some nice recognitions from, from our sport at competitions after that. So um, it's always nice when you know, you've dedicated your life to something and there's you know, some recognition at the end of the day. Because it it's definitely a sport where, sadly, outside of the Olympics, it doesn't obviously get a huge amount of exposure in Australia, which is why when I said at the beginning I, I'm always glued to art trade in Olympics is because I don't really ever get to see it outside of the Olympic Games, which obviously can be tricky no doubt for you know yourself out there funding things along those lines but do you think that's going to change a lot in the lead up to to brisbane i mean so many sports obviously are going to get an influx of uh you know cash and development to make sure that australia are at our best but uh, are you hopeful that archery is going to get a big influx of competitors and attention in the lead up to 2032 i just hope there's some sort of support um for for the athletes coming through um I don't think I'll be there on the field. Um, never say never, Taylor. Would, never say never. Come uh, on. <laughs> I didn't say never. I said I don't think. Um, but just have, give them the support that they need to be able to perform at, at the top level without um, yeah, the stresses of life around that would be really great. Um, with the host games, you get a full quota of all the spots, so we don't need to worry about you know, qualifying tournaments prior to that. Uh, we can just focus on our internal trials and and yeah, the best athletes will go on the day. Is it known where archery is going to be in Brisbane? Have they announced the venue for where that will be? Not that I'm aware of. I say, I mean, it'd probably be terrible for the wind, but Service Paradise Beach, put it on the beach. Like, you know, big, you know, it's always, there's always a picturesque venue archery at the Olympics. I mean, was it back in Athens? It was in the original stadium, wasn't it, from uh, 1896? So, I mean, I don't know, but bugger the wind, make it a bit more difficult. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, typically with um, finals matches and uh, uh, I guess the, the more picturesque side of the, the sport, is more for the spectators and not for the athletes. So we don't actually demonstrate the high level of performance because it is so windy and really hard to judge and not very well set up or, or protected for the athletes. Well, South so we Bank as well would be more battle. sheltered, wouldn't it? South Bank a little bit more sheltered than Service Paradise Beach. I don't know if you've got the length there on South Bank, <laughs> but they could make it work somewhere, couldn't they? <laughs> yeah, we only need probably about 100 metres total. There you go. Easy. 
Was it Story Bridge put it across there? Like, you know, <laughs> close that off for the Olympics. I'm giving them some ideas. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we threw around the, the idea for um, South Bank for, for a while there. But, uh, yeah, when an announcement's made, uh, I'm sure we'll all find out. See how it all, all pans out with that one. When it uh, came – actually, before I get to Tokyo, sorry, I've got to ask a traditional off-the-podium question. The medal, what do you do with it? I mean, you, you talked about sort of the Commonwealth Games having those arrows and that for your mum. Is it – do you have that on display? Sock drawer, where's where's the bronze medal? Uh, probably in the back of the, the cupboard somewhere. Um, <laughs> I forget about it most days. Anyway, it's – um. Sometimes you even forget you, you've won it or forget that you've got that kind of you know title towards yourself. But uh, no, it's, at the moment, it's just a piece of metal in a box in the, in the back of the cupboard. That's insane. I, surely you get introduced into a room as Olympic bronze medalist Taylor Worth. Like that, that's got to be a title that you never get sick of hearing. If people aren't doing that, do it more often. You know, <laughs> come on. The 10 train, who cares about that Olympic bronze medalist? That should be shouted from the mountaintops. I, I do have uh, a few people that have introduced me like that, but uh, I think I'm a little <laughs> bit too humble for that. I think you try it for the plane again. Next time you're on a flight, get it out from the box. Like, oh, what fell out of my bag? Oh, an Olympic bronze medal. Oh, isn't that embarrassing? Didn't mean Just that. Just try the, uh, don't you know who I am? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't you know who I am? You know, what, what, what do me and Paddy Mills have in common? We've both got Olympic bronze medals. I bet you put him at the front of the plane, but what about me? I'm exactly the same as him, you know? Might earn a little bit more, less money, but whatever, it doesn't matter. That's, we're the same people, all right? Um, when it came yeah. to, to Tokyo, I mean, obviously an extra event that now is there with, with the mixed team, does it make it, again, is it a consistency thing? You like having more events or is it kind of, you know, a bit more draining that you've got an additional event to focus on as compared to the other two that you've got? Um, I like competing. I just love competing. I'm, I'm a competitor at heart. I, I hate, I guess, the grind of, of training every day. But um, if I got a chance to be out on the range and compete, and um, getting that mindset, uh, I just really thrive. Um, so the, the more the merrier. In terms of the the performance, I mean, obviously, unfortunately for for the guys out in the in the first round for the team, and not quite through as far as you go. I mean, probably a stupid question to say was it disappointing leaving Tokyo with that sort of stuff. But I mean, how do you reflect on Tokyo now that it's obviously been a little bit more than a, a year since it all came about? Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty disappointing overall, but I have to look at the silver linings um, that we lost to Chinese Taipei in the team round who went on to win silver. Um, we, we lost, or I lost to Mete Gazos who went on to win Olympic gold. Um, so I still finished in the top 10. I've had three Olympic games and three top 10 individual finishes. The only matches I've lost were to two Olympic med- gold medalists and an Olympic bronze medalist uh, in that in that event. So they went on to, to win. So it took somebody that was going all the way and it was having their competition of, of their life um, to really knock me out. So um, it's yeah, you know, kicking the teeth that you know I haven't quite made it as far as I've wanted to. Every single person on on that line wanted Olympic gold and 99% of those people will be disappointed because they don't have it. So I uh, just uh, joined that statistic this time. 
which does it then make you hungry to go towards another one for Paris? Like, is that in the plans for you now? Are you, are you shooting towards, pun intended, Paris? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, yes, I'd love to be there and I uh, want to. Um, but uh, having a bit of a career break, if you will, from my shooting career to kind of uh, work on um, a bit of a, uh, corporate life for myself. Uh, I'm a cyber consultant at KPMG at the moment. Um, and I missed the, the birth of my second child. Uh, my wife had severe complications while I was in Tokyo. So I was in the hotel quarantine coming home from international travel and uh, my wife had to give um, emergency birth to my child and wow he was taken off to intensive care and she was wheeled back to her bedroom and I was hung up on the phone. Um, so my pri- that was a real eye opener for my priorities for life. So I've spent the last 12 months kind of setting up a, a financial career for myself and uh, being a bit of a family man. And how is everything going in the family side of things? Everything okay now with, with everything? Yep. Yeah. Everything's going okay now. Um, Oliver turned one earlier this month, um, all fit and healthy and, and raring to go. Um, yeah, it, it's been amazing to, to be here um, and, and watch him grow and develop because with my eldest son, I was away quite a bit through his early years and I missed a lot. Um, so I'm trying to give back to him now. Well, I, no pressure on this because obviously that's very important and I'm not trying to take away from any of that, but... I believe Simon went to five Olympics, did he not? So, I mean, you go to one more, you got four. LA, there's five. Brisbane, there's six. You can beat Simon. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always had that in, in mind. Um, uh, I, my, my outlook on that was uh, going to one was, was awesome, but two proves I'm not a one-trick pony. Um, three, yeah, you kind of get the hat trick, and then you go, oh, What's four? Yeah, and then you know, you know, from the jump from three to five really isn't that isn't that yeah. much. And five's Easy. a nice, you know, round number on on one hand. Andrew so. Hoy's done like four hundred of them, and he's in his sixty. So you got plenty of years ahead of you, right? Like, come on. And plus, I've got to say this: you've got a bronze, all right. So you know, yeah. Simon got a gold. If you get a gold, then you've got a bronze as well. He doesn't have that. So you're then Australia's most successful Olympic archer of all time. So how does that sound to you? I had that in mind for Rio after ah, we'd won bronze. Yeah. And I went, I'm going to finish on the podium, be the first Australian archer to win two Olympic medals, let alone and two in one games, and then you know, potentially be on um, the statistics of the cards uh, for, the, for one of the best ever. You can't let Ryan and Alec do it, so you know you've, you've got to you've got to go out there. I, I don't think uh, Tim's probably. Uh, I don't know if he's still involved in archery. So I mean, you, you could be it there to go out there to 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 do this here, Taylor. History. I mean, come on. Then then the medal wouldn't be in the back of a cupboard. They would be out and about, and you would be being more introduced into rooms as you should be as uh, Olympic <laughs> gold and bronze medalist Taylor Worth. Well, that would be the the, the goal at the end of the day. But uh, who knows what the future has in store for me. Well, definitely going to keep an eye on that. Taylor, before we get to some questions to wrap it up, some fun get to know ones, I've been sitting on this. Uh, I found a, a website here with some archery jokes. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of all of these 
before. Um, have you ever tried blindfolded archery? Uh, no, you don't know what uh. you're missing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hilarious, right? Um, why couldn't the chili practice archery? He nope. didn't habanero. Uh, habanero. Oh, habanero. No. You're right. No, that's pretty bad, oh, isn't it? Oh, um, I like that one. Yeah. Uh, I love archery, but it has one problem. There are too many drawbacks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the earliest dates I went on with my wife was a blindfolded archery lesson. It wasn't our first date, but was the one that stuck in my head. Oh, gosh. These are... These are amazing. I need to do this more often with our guests. I think kind of find jokes for their sport. Are there any like puns, archery sort of things out there that are that are more common and probably better than those ones? Oh, there, there are lots of puns for our sport. There are a lot of uh, innuendos um, with all a lot of our equipment. I can Not imagine. sure uh, the, the the rating for your podcast, but uh, ah, no, there's, there's no restrictions on this show, Taylor. <laughs> we want to learn something new. Go, go on, give us the worst. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot of pulling of shafts. Um, there's uh, <laughs> a lot of people comparing their long rods. Yep. Um, okay. Yep. Fair, fair point. Yep. I like yeah. that. Which I like it when you can have that because, like, I think of say rowing when you've got cocks and strokes and things like that. Where I feel like you know rowing don't play up to the puns as much as they probably could. So make it archery. You know, we've all got that fun. We've got to have it. So. Use that. I want the yeah. commentators in Paris to just, you know, talk about these that you're mentioning. So uh, there you go. And steal those jokes. Thanks for that uh, great website for those. Now, Taylor, we close off with a set of uh, get-to-know-you questions. As always, these are questions that are given to Team Canada ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. And I am using the questionnaire that was given to Canadian archer Crispin Duanus. Are you you're familiar with Crispin? Is he someone that you've uh, beaten in the past or lost to in the past or...? Crispin, the Black Duck Duenas, yes. Um, <laughs> that, that's one of his uh, nicknames on the international okay. scene. Um, right. He was part of the Canadian team that we beat at the Commonwealth Games in ah. that first round. And I have beaten him at the 2018 Indoor World Championships in the bronze medal match. So I won bronze there. Right. So, yes. Well, I can... Compare your answers to him then, and let's see if you can beat him. Because I'm looking at his question. He has written a lot. Jesus, Crispin likes to write some stuff here. I'm not reading all of that, Crispin. Jesus. But let's start off with my favorite Olympic, or your favorite Olympic moment is. My favorite Olympic moment, uh, it would have to be standing on the podium with my best mates. Um, And the feeling of the weight of that Olympic medal as it goes around your neck, because we didn't know how heavy it was. And then, you know, they've taken their hands off the ribbon and you kind of have to catch yourself. Hmm. Um, that, that feeling of, of that weight around your neck and your shoulders. Fantastic. I love it when people answer their own moment. It, it's, it's fantastic. Did, um, in terms of like, does, does Simon bring his gold medal when he's like in coaching you or training or things like that? Like, I mean, is he flashing that around or not? Like, is that something that kind of comes out of the, of his cupboard? Not that I'm aware of. I think I've only seen his, uh, once, um, kind of post the Commonwealth games as we were kind of sitting back at his, um, sharing a celebratory drink as he was national head coach at the time. But, um, no, it's not, it's not something that's, uh, very seen very often 
it's, it's, maybe it's an archery thing. Maybe it's just like, yeah, it's a medal. In the cupboard it goes. It doesn't need to be seen. Very humble sport, uh, archery, clearly. Um, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Olympic host city. Ooh. Ooh. Maybe it's Spain or Madrid or um, um, Italy. Um, yeah. They've got a lot of picturesque venues that they could utilise. They do. And everyone always talks about how great the Barcelona Olympics were back in 92. So, And they had an archer light the cauldron, of course, from uh, if you remember <laughs> that. So they obviously yeah. uh, have that connection to archery. So there's an idea for Brisbane. Just saying, you win a couple of gold medals between now and then. I mean, I, I'm my idea for Brisbane is still to have Kieran Perkins go to light it. He falls over. Stephen Bradbury picks it up and lights the cauldron. It sells itself. But if you won, like let's let's look at Paris. You win the team gold, the individual gold, and the mixed gold. Then you'd back it up in LA. So then you've won six gold and a bronze. Maybe they have to make you light. I know you're not a Queenslander, but still, that's pretty darn good effort there for you to have a chance of lighting the cauldron with an arrow. Well, I am now. I class myself exactly, as a Queenslander. Exactly, exactly. You live in there. So, I mean, yeah, you're as much of a Queenslander as some of the others who have uh, moved there and turned into a Queenslander. It's a good point. I like it. Hey, I've, I've got roots here now. I've, <laughs> I've travelled all over the place. But uh, this is the longest I've ever been in one state. Ah, well, there you go. I was going to say, what, what colour jersey are you wearing during the state of origin? That will sell you enough. You know, if it's maroon, then then you're in. So that, that works. Um I'd probably wear my pyjamas while I'm in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Rugby's not my sport, I'm afraid. Are you a footy man? Are you from Western Australia? Was it like an Eagles-Dockers it, thing that you had to choose? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was Eagles-Dockers back in the day. Uh, I was always the, the Eagles boy. Okay. Um, but uh, as it's not very popular up here, it's um, kind of fallen off my radar. All right, I was going to say you didn't just switch to the Lions because they've been doing better recently than the Eagles, but uh, no, not quite. Nah, just, just not following much of anything at the moment. That goes that way. All Pretty right. Um, in your spare time, what do you most like to do? <laughs> uh, sleep. Catch up on <laughs> sleep. I would lo- love as much sleep as possible, especially with two young boys. Great answer. Uh, more people need to answer that. Sleep is incredibly important. And, yes, spare time is for sleeping. Uh, what is the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you? Probably don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> kind of asking my, coach, asking my coach for advice and he's just kind of like shrugged and he's just like, don't suck. <laughs> Be more good. Be more like, good. <laughs> thank, thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Cheers. How much are you getting paid to coach me? Um, yep. <laughs> sounds like being a coach in archery is easy, Taylor. Maybe I'll take it up. Don't suck. Be good. There you go. Yep. Here's your paycheck. Yep. National head coach of archery, Ben Waterworth. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, your fav- your favourite workout is? My favourite workout? Mm, do you have one? <laughs> uh Like like in the in the gym, yeah. Um, favorite exercises would probably be tricep work, push ups, um, dips, um, extensions. Yeah, that works. Tricep was a was a big, uh, it's a big muscle group for for archers. I can imagine. Yeah, and is it a case of you're talking about the whole concentrating on one? Section. So if you're right-handed, you've got a stronger right arm or a stronger left arm, like because you're using that. Is that generally how it is? Yeah. Um, 
our, our backs are very um, isometric. So one you know, pulls a lot of weight and holds. So the, there's a lot of muscle bulk on, I guess, our dominant hand or dominant eye that we really need to keep ourselves balanced in the gym. So I just love lifting. Um, lifting was just great. I miss being in the gym. I was going to ask you that just because if I was to challenge you to an arm wrestle, I'm going to probably want to go into one of the arms versus the other. I actually probably kick my ass on the, the prominent arm there. So, you know, just uh, focusing on that one. I keep noticing too, one of your fingers, is it an Olympic ring, ring, Olympic rings ring you've got? Is that something that sort of you got made up after the Olympics or you get gifted to? You? Yeah, is nice. this, is, this is one that uh, I went and got custom made. Um, Fantastic. I, I liked the, the signet ring style. Um, yeah. And was that instead of a tattoo? Do you do the standard get a tattoo as well? This this was to see if it satisfied that that tattoo itch. Um, I still haven't have not got my tattoo yet. After your six Olympics, that's when you get it with all those gold medals. You got to add all the little gold little symbols underneath it, right? So save it, save it, Taylor. That's what you do. Uh, if you could have yeah. lunch with any one person, who would it be? Lunch with any one person. I've been asked for, for the panel of, of five people and I've been able to kind of answer that one in the past, but, but if I would narrow, narrow it down to one, um, is it anybody in history or just anybody in history? Absolutely. Probably Robin Williams. Ah, yes. That would be a great lunch. Very entertaining. You wouldn't get a word in, but that's not the point. You don't no. want to, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> just let him go. No. Oh, fantastic answer. Being like in his that. presence would be amazing. Exactly. I'd agree with that one. Uh, your favourite sandwich is? Favourite sandwich? Probably peanut butter and honey. Oh, nice. Good combination, that one, actually. Mm. I like that. Are you crunchy or a smooth man? Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. doesn't matter? I'm not picky. Okay. All right. But uh, okay. the, the honey kind of cuts through the clagginess of the peanut butter and yeah, yeah. It's nice. Good answer. Uh, here's a quick side note. What do you think Crispin would have answered for his favourite sandwich? Oh, probably some weird Canadian delicacy. <laughs> Not quite. Roast beef. Simple man, Crispin. Just put some beef on a sandwich. Yeah, right. That, that works. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, superpower. Um, teleportation so mm. that I didn't have to get on a plane again. Yep, good answer. Which sometimes sometimes on these questionnaires, it's like, what superhero would you be? Is the obvious answer Hawkeye because he never misses? I mean, that would come in handy for, for archery, I can imagine. If he never missed, it would be boring. Well, true. Then You'd you know. always know the outcome. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And no one likes Hawkeye, but, let's be honest. <laughs> but winning is fun, let's be yes, honest. Yes, true, very true. Uh, the best candy in the world is... Ooh, best candy. Um, I'm going to go jelly beans. Jelly beans. Good answer. Yes, jelly beans. I like jelly beans. Next one I know the answer to. You've already answered uh, your favourite sports team growing up as kids. We know that was uh, that was West Coast. Uh, Crispin's answered the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, they're all right. Um, your favourite sports movie is? Oh, it'd have to be Rocky. Yeah. Good answer. No one ever answers Rocky. I don't know why. It's sort of the, you know, stock standard one, but Rocky is a great choice. So nothing yeah. Errol Flynn based. I mean, I'm a Tasmanian, got to pump Errol Flynn, you know, Robin Hood, all those kind of ones. But that too, <laughs> that's too on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. 
little bit, a little bit too much. I mean, like, I, I'm just saying right now, Tasmania has the greatest archer of all time, Errol Flynn. So, you know, that's uh, – <laughs> you can beat Simon, but then you've got to go to Errol Flynn levels there. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Anywhere my wife is. Oh. Oh. Uh, uh, oh. I, I, I've travelled a lot of places. I've lived a lot of places. Um Probably my, one of my favorite places would be Margaret River in WA, where I kind of was born and raised. But uh, I've got no roots anywhere um, apart from wherever my wife is. That is the best answer I've ever heard, Taylor. That's amazing. Love it. And she's going to love this when she listens to it too. Good job. <laughs> um, I always love this question because it's very open-ended. When you were little, what was one thing you always thought? That would require me to think. <laughs> um, well, I'll give you a say. Crispin's written, I wanted to become an astronaut. Uh, but I think the best answer I ever got for this was, I was always hungry. That's a standard kid answer, right? <laughs> yeah, something you always thought. Um, uh, something you always thought would be great at video games. And that hey. never, never pitted out to be what it was <laughs> supposed well, to be. Time in that, I mean, now that it's e gaming such a thing, I mean, you know, there's always talk about it becoming an Olympic sport. So, you know, you could change. You never know. Yeah. Uh, now, the last one here, we've had some great puns on this show. I've told some great jokes. Now it's up to you, Taylor. Your favorite joke to tell is. Oh, my favorite joke. The, the best jokes are the ones that are always off the cuff that you don't even think of. Mm-hmm. And they've just kind of come out. Uh, it kind of comes with the territory of being a dad. Yep. Um, you, you get all the, the cringeworthy jokes. But um, oh, I don't have one off the top of my head. It must be an archery thing because uh, Crispin's written here, I actually don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is a, we're, we're getting these trends between archers. Incredible. Taylor, before we let you go, uh, social media, anywhere that people can sort of follow, support you on the way to uh, another 300 Olympics that you're obviously going to go on to? Um, yeah, I'm on um, Instagram. I've got a Facebook athlete account, um, Twitter. I haven't been very active over the past 12 months. Um, I've tried to really kind of step away from um, the social media side of things and be far more of a family man. Um, dedicate my my time um, to my wife and kids and my, my crazy dog that's been running around. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, jump on there. Uh, we've got nationals coming up in about three or four weeks. Um, in my first competition out in 12 months, so we'll see how it goes, see if I can still remember how to ride the bike. But, um, yeah, jump on those, have a look, see what you like. We will indeed. Good luck with that one in the coming weeks. Taylor, mate, this has been such a pleasure to chat with you and to learn so much about your career, archery, everything else. And, uh, yeah, we'll get you on again after Paris with those three gold, LA with those three gold, and hopefully I'll be commentating you in Brisbane. I'll just put that extra pressure on myself. But uh, all the best (laughs) for everything moving forward, and we really appreciate your time on the show today. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Ben. I really appreciate it. (laughs) 
and a massive, massive thanks to Taylor there. Such a great chat and an insight into the sport of archery. I really do love archery. I'm sure if you've listened to this show long enough and heard us talking about archery during Rio and Tokyo, I just am glued to it every single Olympics. And it's always been a sport that I've always wanted to really do. I, I love all sports and I've got no sporting ability and I'm sure I have no sporting ability in archery. But from when I used to try it back in high school, I always was drawn to it. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. But I think it would be a great sport to try. So an honor to chat to Taylor there about his career and learning all about those aspects and just fascinating, fascinating to learn the uh, subtleties involved in a sport such as archery. Uh, we wish uh, Taylor all the best, of course, uh, moving forward towards the next Olympics in Paris next year. Obviously, at the time of recording that, that was only a few weeks out from the national championships last year. And uh, obviously, we are... Uh, wish Taylor the best of luck and we will see him in other Olympics let's be honest it's going to happen we're a very positive forward-minded show here on off the podium if you want to see the video version of that so you want to see the ring that I mentioned in that interview of course YouTube search for off the podium it is on there as well as all the other past athlete interviews that you can check out there and future ones as well you can subscribe to the channel to never miss one of those and talking also subscribing if I can speak properly you can do that on all the podcast channels as well uh, wherever you get your podcast from search off the podium hit the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode coming through to your speakers and while you're online social media facebook instagram twitter follow us on all of those to stay up to date with everything that we've got going on and off the podium and always remember you can send us a message to let us know what you think of this episode last episodes or have ideas for future episodes we always love hearing from you moving forward on the new sport front we do have a athlete from the great sport of football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, coming your way in the coming weeks. An Olympic gold medal winning athlete from the sport of soccer, if you don't mind. So get excited from that. We also have some other medalists lined up in the sport of ice hockey, in the sport of swimming. There's plenty to keep you updated and excited for those as well. We'll also be returning to the slopes for skiing. We have our very first canoe slalom athlete as well. So uh, plenty to keep you entertained here and off the podium. So much happening, so much coming, and we are so excited for you to be able to hear them all over the coming weeks, months, and years as well. Let's uh, not forget that we are, what, about 15 months away from Paris at this stage. So uh, we're getting closer and closer to another Olympic Games. Big thanks goes out once again to Taylor and to everybody who tuned in to the show today. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull as always. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. And remember to go left and don't suck. Bye.